0: GM, everybody, welcome to Flywheel. Your number one source for everything Frax, DeFi, and everything in between. If you want to know what's going on in the world on chain, well, you come to the right place. This is DeFi Dave here with Capital K, and we're here to help you harness the power of the Flywheel. And this time, we go deep into the stack. We go into infrastructure. We look up the Flywheel of rollups and what it takes to build a rollup well, to service a rollup uh, with Gelato on. Uh, we had Hilmar and Lewis, uh, they have their very exciting, very novel, very useful uh, roll up as a service uh, that they are offering, which actually, you know, makes block space valuable and makes block space useful. Because as we learned this episode, you can't just have naked block space. You can't just be producing empty blocks. You have to have something that makes a block space worth it. Kit, what are your thoughts on this one? No mid-block space allowed, only no mid block spaces. No,
1: I no. I, I was just I was just telling Dave, like, off before we uh, recorded the intro, that I haven't learned this much about, you know, crypto in a long time. So this was a really, really good episode for me. I got in some pretty good questions, if I may say, and I just hope the listeners get as much out of it as I did.
0: Yeah, and I'm sure that, and, you know, I just kind of took a road down a Trip down memory lane, uh, as I am a former leg- legendary member of Gelato. Uh, that's where I took my quote unquote sabbatical away from the fraxy <laughs> away, mm-hmm. away from. It's it's funny, uh, there's a joke when when uh when I worked at Gelato, uh, Lewis would because I, I would always like talk about like frax and like what I learned from Sam, and this is that it's like they'd be like, Oh, you're, you're from the school of Sam, and they would say in the, German accent, <laughs> the school <laughs> of Sam, and it's so that's true. Nice. Uh, But we did learn a lot here. Um, This is, you know, I think if you listen to this episode, you're gonna hear like what 2024 and beyond has in store. You're gonna hear about the world of a thousand rollups. You're gonna hear about, you know, data availability wars that are coming and so much more. So make sure uh, you tune in and pay attention. If you wanna pay attention to everything we're doing here at Flywheel, make sure you go ahead, hit that bell button. You subscribe, do that right now on our YouTube to never miss a beat. Leave us a comment. Let us know what you think. Give us a like. Make sure you follow us at DeFi on Twitter, TikTok and Telegram. Make sure you go ahead and subscribe to our brand new newsletter on our brand new website, FlywheelDeFi.com. Go do that right now. You can follow me, yours truly, on Twitter at Dave 22 You can follow me at 0 Capital underscore K. And before we get the flywheel spinning, I want to give a notice and a disclaimer. Um, I used to work at Gelato. Uh, I am an advisor to Gelato still. Uh, I do have tokens, so I wanna get that out of the way. Um, (laughs) Because, you know, we needed to have those disclaimers. But now that you hear that, let's get the flywheel spinning. Do you hold ETH? but don't know what to do with it? Want to earn those juicy liquid staking derivative yields, but don't know where to start? Well, Frax ETH is there for you. Frax ETH is Frax's native LSD solution, allowing you to earn boosted yields in multiple ways on your ETH. If you want to get started, go to app.frax.finance and turn your ETH into FraxETH today. All right, everyone. Welcome back to this episode of Flywheel. I'm your host, DeFi Dave, here with Capital K. And this time around, we're getting the inside scoop of what's happening at the gelato shop, I really wanted to do that pun. I've been waiting to do this pun. This <laughs> I've been waiting to do this interview for a while because uh, I used to work at Gelato. I was their ninth employee under our guest Hilmar and Lewis back in the early days when you could fit everybody on the Zoom chat. And now, how big is Gelato?
2: Are you mean? We're like 30, 30
0: people roughly. 30 people. Oh, wow. Yeah. wow. Yeah, so Hilmar and Lewis – the founders of Gelato. Thank you so much for coming on. Glad to be here. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. And uh, before we get into it, uh, let's do a little bit of intros, uh, like who you are,
3: and maybe just like a brief in- intro of Gelato. Cool, all right. So yeah, let me get started. So um, I'm Luis, I'm co-founder of Gelato, um, and uh, yeah, Hilma obviously is, is the other co-founder. And both of us started Gelato roughly four and a half years ago, actually almost five years ago. And uh, yeah, um, I think, Dave, you were one of our first employees back in the day in early yeah. 2021, like all, all, almost 2020 times, like before Corona even. That was crazy, right? Like that's I know, it was like ago. in the thick
0: of Corona, actually. Oh yeah, it was in
3: the thick, yeah, yeah. true.
0: I remember yeah. being interviewed by Hilmar and uh, when I was like briefly in Brazil, and I was in a cafe and Hilmer's was like, wait, how are you in a cafe
3: right now? I'm just like, oh, it's Brazil. And he's like, oh. It's <laughs> nah. yeah. So yeah, that's how yeah. we, I guess, how we got started with uh, smart contract automation back in the day. And since then, we've been doing uh, account abstraction, relaying, serverless. And uh, as of this year, we launched our Rollup as a service platform, which is really the hottest thing happening in Gelato right now. And I guess across the industry, really. Mm -hmm. And very excited to talk about that today with you. Yeah, because when I was at
0: Gelato, I would pitch it as, you know, general uh, automation. It's like general service automation. And now you guys have evolved to, like, basically go to the level under to the infrastructure to basically the picks and pickaxes and shovels of the rollups and having them function and letting them, you know, letting them do their thing. So, like, uh, how did that evolution happen?
3: Yeah, so... I think actually it's quite interesting because um, uh, we don't really think of this as like a pivot or something. It's more like the logical next step that we had to do in order to make our middleware services that sort of we had built already for four years now, um, way more powerful and useful. So for example, um, for our account abstraction services, our Gelato Relay and Gelato One Balance system. Uh, which has been used by many projects already to sponsor transactions to completely abstract away gas for users and so on. Um, The problem with these systems is they are quite useful to build much more powerful applications um, like gasless applications and so on that sort of are much better in user experience than pre-existing web pre-applications. But usually you'll run into all sorts of issues because the underlying base layer simply doesn't scale yet, right? So, for example... Even on a cheaper network like Polygon, we've seen that many of the developers that wanted to use, like that wanted to sponsor transactions for their users with our uh, APIs, and they ended up not being able to do that because it was just too expensive at scale. Like on Ethereum, anyways, right? But even on cheaper even networks, even on Polygon, you...
0: even, yes, on, even on Polygon.
3: Like if you if you think at scale, which we often don't do in crypto because like we have ten users or something, right? Like, but if you actually think at scale, like 1,000, a thousand, million users, then these networks you, you very quickly become prohibitively expensive uh, and mm. then people revert to asking their users to pay for gas again and so on. And then we're back to this sort of stone ages again, where we assume that every mainstream user has to learn about MetaMask and setting gas prices and so on, which is horrible, right? So so actually we realized that the underlying base layer has to change for for our other technologies to become useful and really powerful. And with roll-up, uh, with sort of this advent of roll-up and, and this new technology coming on the market with OPE and Polygon, zk EVM and Orbit and so on from Arbitrum, we saw this opportunity for us to really, for the first time, be able to go to the base layer and um, use these new technologies, these frameworks to um, build the base layers ourselves, like build roll-ups ourselves that are much cheaper, much more scalable, much faster, uh, and and now our uh, pre-existing services, Gelato Automate, Gelato Web3 Functions, uh, Gelato One Balance and Relay, they can now be integrated into these rollups, and they for the first time, developers can now literally afford to pay for every transaction. So these like it's it's sort of this this flywheel, if you will, uh, no pun intended. But, but yeah, uh, if I had a
0: shot, I would take it right now. But it's 8 a.m. <laughs> <laughs> but but yeah, okay, so evolution of Gelato, you had these smart contract automation services. And then when Rollups came about, I mean, then actually you had Relay. I feel like Relay was like the first instance of, you know, automating, making life easier for the user at, and for protocols at like at a wide scale. And then you guys had Rollup as a service. And it's like, it was the logical next step in automation and making life easier for users. And now all those services you have for smart contract automations can just be on top of the Rollup as a service. And so it's very logical how it all like built on top of each other.
2: Yeah. And I, I think, so we actually, if you look at, if you look at our website right now and we have been sort of thinking. You have a beautiful website, by the way. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Um, <laughs> and we like, we sort of thought about Gelato for quite some time now already as sort of like a, a, a cloud platform for web three, where mm. we build a platform that hosts and operates Web3 specific cloud services, similar to what happened in like the early 2000s in cloud computing for Web 2. And um, we just started with these what luis described as middleware services, right that mm-hmm. try to augment the, the functionalities of what EVM blockchains offered you today and just making them more powerful, like account abstraction, gas transactions, automation, access to off chain data, for your applications, right? These are all things that like blockchains by themselves don't support. And um, part of of that sort of service now in this new paradigm, which is like we used to live in this paradigm of one single blockchain and all the applications on top of it, right? But now we are moving away from it. We're moving into a world of a thousand blockchains, of application-specific blockchains, of ecosystem chains. And there will be we just started like we are just at the very very start of a new era and next year i'm pretty sure we'll have at least a thousand l2s it it might sound crazy but we'll have a thousand l2s it will accelerate and and we are basically trying to make this happen by making it as easy as cost effective as as scalable to actually roll these out rolling these out right um continuously rolling these um, out nice and so gelato rolling out chains that's very fitting yeah exactly (laughs) and um yeah if you know you know and (laughs) and so and so in this new paradigm we realized if you're building a a cloud platform for developers which try to enable them to really build applications that can get the masses on chain right you need to provide the block space. You need to provide the database underneath in order to actually do that effectively and have like very tight integrations with our existing services. And this is when we sort of did our research, like rollups came about and we were convinced that the maturity of these rollups is sufficient now to actually start this. And so it was, as Luis said, sort of a natural progression from us to go down into the underlying block space and provide everything out of the box for for our users. So... A world of a thousand L2s, that's,
0: that's, that's quite the statement. I, I believe it. Um, and I remember talking to somebody earlier this year about it, somebody that was at, that worked at, that, um, was at one of these rollups and he was like, yeah, in the same way that it was novel to launch a smart contract in 2016, it's going to be the thing to do in 2024 is launch a rollup. So I definitely see that. Uh, my next question is like, what kind of, yeah,
1: before we hop into that, could we, double click on this thousand roll up like world, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know? Cause I feel like these guys are like the RAS expert, right? You know, Luis has literally Rasputin as like his name. So I feel like we definitely got to dive a bit deeper. Paint me a picture of like a user's journey coming into a thousand chain, right? Like I, myself and all of us here are probably quite DeFi native and us going between just two chains is an issue. You know, like, and every single time I con- sign a confirmation for a bridge, I'm just crossing my fingers and I hope it makes it over. A rickety so, bridge. Like, you know, yeah, please. So, so so, walk me through, like, what a user journey could look like in this world of a thousand chains.
2: Sure thing. Um, I think bridging, you, you sort of already mentioned one of the key issues here, right? Um, I think we are, like, from a thought process point of view, we are still thinking of this world of, we are part of a certain chain and this chain is our home and uh, we won't leave our home and we only interact with other apps that are on our home. And why do we have this sort of thinking as, let's say crypto OGs or like people that have been in this space for quite some time? Because at the beginning, it actually made a huge difference on what chain you're on, right? Because some chains were very insecure, or some bridges to certain chains were very insecure, and so you're like, I don't trust chain A, or I don't identify with the values of chain B, um, or with the community, right? Um, now, with the emergence of L2s, where you can inherit the security of Ethereum, this is a whole different story. So I think we are we are right now in like this middle place in the middle, where it's not you don't feel that you're part of like uh, one chain. I think you are now we are entering the space of you're part of a certain ecosystem, regardless of which chain you're on. And and I'm talking about like the super chain polygons interoperability layer where you're like, Hey, we want to be part of the optimism collective chain family, or I want to be part of the polygon chain family. Um, but eventually I think what's the end state of this thing like similar to what happened in to Web2 is you really think about the applications and you are a user of a certain application, regardless of which sort of intranet or ecosystem your this chain uh, is sort of like connected to, right? Um, and so you just want to go to the Netflix, cha- Netflix application and what chain underneath is powering that shouldn't be really sort of um, interesting for you, right? The only complexity, of course, here is assets. Like, how do you actually get assets into these chains? And this is the cool thing about L2s, right? Especially about ZK rollups, validity proofs. Um, They enable you to actually enter and exit chains without any additional trust assumptions to Ethereum's validator set in a sort of very uh, efficient manner, right? You can bridge assets in, you can bridge assets out um, very quickly. Now, of course, if you want to hop between different chains... This um, has right now still some complexities involved with it. You need third-party bridge operators to allow you to quickly move from one app to another if they are on different chains. But even there, you have things like uh, zk for ZK rollups, right? You have like a, a singleton bridge that, for example, Polygon is rolling out uh, sometime early next year where you could potentially move between different chains in a close to atomicity, like in a close to atomic way um without any sort of external trust assumptions added to that now this sort of future where you will actually not notice which chain you're on you will just connect to an application and then you click on it and your assets move into this and you and you you don't even care where the assets were before and which chain because they're all part of the same trust assumption they're all part of the same family this world is still like out there right it's we are not there yet but we are moving yeah. towards that and technology is being built to support this so i'm quite confident that um, I always thought about you can scale Ethereum in two ways. You have this sort of Ethereum just scales, like the Solana version. You just have one virtual machine that just scales to infinity, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I started with this, but I, I, sort of, I think it got debunked. Um, and all like technologically speaking is very difficult and regulatory and stuff. It's very difficult, right? Because do you really want to be on the same block space and virtual machine as everyone else? And if someone mm. sort of does something sketchy there, do you want to be exposed to that? Is that actually feasible, right? Uh, so what I'm what I'm more, more convinced of is you have a thousand rollups that feel like a single chain, right? And this is the end state. You have like a, f- a thousand of these, but for you as a user, it feels like just a single one. And everyone can have their own sort of rules uh, based on who can transact, how you can transact. And you can, as a user, have always the security of Ethereum as an asset layer, and you can hop between them very efficiently and at low cost and low latency. And of course, this vision is still not achieved yet, but we are all as a community working towards it. And I'm pretty confident that we will get there over the next couple of years.
1: Got it. And I, I just have a quick follow-up, Dave, to, to that. Because, you know, Hilmar, I really love your your question here. And you mentioned family chains. So when, when I think about that, if, you know, ETH has a ton of apps on his family chain and one is connected, does that make, um, I guess, tribalism or just your uh, uh, belongingness to ETH even stronger and that you would never, ever bridge out of ETH to go into another chain because, you know, it's already within the family and I just want to stay within the family. Doesn't that kind of reinforce it a little bit?
2: For sure. I, I think, like, if you think about the, like, who's becoming the user of Ethereum, the user of Ethereum are now layer twos. Layer 2s are the customers of Ethereum. You as an end user, you shouldn't be the user of Ethereum anymore. You shouldn't even be exposed to Ethereum anymore, right? Because Ethereum is expensive. Ethereum Ethereum is complex. And there's a lot of technology involved that you shouldn't be exposed to. You should be onboarded to an L2. You should be onboarded to an Optimism Polygon Arbitrum, right? And from there, you are entering a family Right now, you're entering a family there, right? You're entering like an ecosystem, yeah. and this ecosystem is not only one chain anymore. This ecosystem is a whole cluster of chains, but it's still kind of like these, these, these sort of small internets or intranets that are now kind of competing right, to right, each other. Right. And either what we will see is we'll have one of them grow much bigger than everyone else, and everyone is kind of like converging onto this internet. And they're saying, hey, this is the standard uh, that we adopt, or you will have a very seamless, low latent um, cross sort of ecosystem communication layer that then sort of combines them all into a single piece, um TCE IP sort of or right. web free, right, that then makes it seem like uh, just one single internet, even though it consists of these clusters. Beautiful answer.
3: And maybe to double click on 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 basically what is so weird today, right? We are all crypto natives here. And for us, it's quite normal to pick a chain, right? And that is absurd if you think about it. Like (laughs) it's, it's okay for this early cohort of users, but that's not how mainstream users operate or think, right? Like for example, when you want to watch a movie, you go to Netflix, right? You don't say, I will go to the Google servers where I can find Netflix, or I will go to the AWS servers. That's exactly find. what I was
0: thinking in
3: yeah. terms of... Yeah, <laughs> it's such a weird thing, right? Like to, to even, right. we are so right. influenced by this because we are so early in the space, but obviously this, this doesn't scale to, to the masses. Um, and even we had to learn so much about this. And basically we're all like tech fans now and chain fans. Mm. And, and I think um, the issue here is that we all still come from this world of um, chain first or like Fed protocol thesis. When actually the applications is what matters the most, right? And, and nowadays we select chains because we want to farm an airdrop on some chain, right? And why? Because the applications usually suck so much still that the only way you actually use it is if you get paid for it, right? Yeah. So, so the, the cool thing is, um, the, and this is a byproduct of the, the, the chains today still being so limited and throughput and many other things. So, Actually, um, one of the coolest themes that we have in this L2 world is not the optimism mainnets or the Arbitrum mainnets. It is the actual role apps, right? Like application specific chains. And once you unlock this, and, and by the way, one of the most prominent examples, one of the earliest movers here are DYDX. Their founder has seen this super early on, like three years already, right? So, three years ago, this poor guy already tried to build an app chain and back then there was no OP stack, there was no Polygon stack, right? Like I think Stark, Starkware were the first ones who, who enabled this, but but that, that was clunky, right? So that's also why he moved to, to Cosmos now because Cosmos mm-hmm. was also very early in this app chain thesis. But now finally Ethereum with the role of technology is following suit and Ethereum is fully embracing uh, an app chain future now. and And that sort of changes everything because we believe that this makes it possible for the first time to really build applications that are so fast and so cheap and so on that it's for the first time possible to build user experiences where the users they don't even know what what chain they're interacting with anymore and they don't they shouldn't care just like you don't you shouldn't care whether the netflix movie you're streaming is on aws or on gcp right like that shouldn't matter to you Mm -hmm. um so ultimately the people that will even Make these choices about chains are not us anymore, right? Those are the developers. Um, and the, the user w- won't be involved in, in this choice anymore. And that's, that's what's really important here. Cause that's just horrible friction to even force the user to make a choice. It's like, imagine like, you know how it is, right? Imagine you want to onboard your brother or sister. They've never used mm-hmm. crypto before and you tell them, Hey, do you want to use Arbitrum or Ethereum? How the hell are they supposed to make this choice? Right. Like it's way too hard. Yeah. They just want to do yeah. something. So. And yeah. and and just for the the, the record, Lewis,
1: I prefer my movies on Microsoft Azure. Okay, I strictly only watch movies on Azure. No, I'm an AWS yeah. guy. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. It's you're, so much faster than the
0: throughput. I'm for the credits. I'm
2: farming the AWS credits. Yeah, yeah. Um, the trust and, assumptions and, on Google Cloud are just the best, guys. Sorry, <laughs>
0: <laughs> but like even talking like that, it just sounds ridiculous, especially for yeah. end users that aren't you know as in it as we are, um, which actually, this leads to my next question. Um, how does this not become like a UX nightmare, like between all these different chains? Like, how do we, like, I think we all agree, like, yes, that application thesis, world of a thousand chains. Yes. But like, how do we make sure that the the whole UX experience is seamless for the end
3: user? So, so yeah, I think the first step here is to realize another hot take, um, which oh, is, probably probably there will only be a handful of very big applications that will all live on their own chain so the the many users might just use one application right they might just wanna trade on a perp dex and they might never leave that chain right so so you you don't even have this cross chain friction because ultimately if you operate within the same chain roll up as a service is strictly better Cause in in that context, you can basically build an an application that is super cheap, basically zero gas um, applications, super fast and everything will look and feel much better than it does on any of the chains today. So now the only question is, okay, what if the applications that you want to use are deployed on different chains, right? Then we always have this bridging issue that you already alluded to earlier. And there it's really just a question for the developer again to abstract this as much as possible. And one thing that's beautiful with the rollup technology, as compared to um, you know building another sidechain and so on, is that the rollup technology, especially zk rollups, um, one of the key inventions, or maybe the key invention they have, is secure cross-chain messaging. And and um, the, the further the technology evolves, the more quickly and the cheaply can you actually securely, um, basically migrate assets and so on between chains. So this is for the developers to work with. They have amazing tools available thanks to these roll-up technologies. And that's also what the super chain is and so on, right, from OP as well. It's basically just figuring out how can we connect these different servers, right? Just think, think of World of Warcraft servers. How can we connect them so that users can move between them freely? Um, and this is going to take some more time, but that's what everybody is sort of working on in the long term. And, and as a user, you, you won't notice this, uh, the developer basically has to deal with these complexities. And, uh, and yeah, and then uh, the hot take really is that some people still believe that the feature of Ethereum as a single chain is that smart contracts can talk synchronously with each other, atomically with each other, sort of like these flash loans and so on. And actually I believe that it's already proven that 90% or so of applications work perfectly fine without this. They don't need to co-locate on the same block space with another application to talk in this manner. Like Most applications are totally fine to asynchronously talk to each other. And we've seen the same development in in the web, which initially there was a lot of synchronous blocking communication. And now the web technology, essentially what they brought was asynchronous server calls, Ajax and so on in the 90s. And and that's how the web works nowadays. Uh, It's mostly asynchronous. And this is this will also happen with chains. Like they will talk to each other in an asynchronous manner and this will get extremely fast so that it even feels synchronous in some instances. And that's where shared sequencing at some point will come in and, and other technologies. But again, like most applications for most of the time, they don't even need this um, communication. Only when the user wants to maybe move some assets over to another application. But there the user will be fine waiting for like, you know, a minute or probably less. There sh- won't be a, a big issue here. Um, so yeah, I think that's basically, that's basically it.: I,
1: I really love the way, like Louis, you, you wrapped it up there. You gave us both a user's perspective, but also at an application layer. So, so let me see if I can rephrase it for the, the audience and for myself, really, for me, to understand it, is that for the users, most likely, they are going to pick a destination and stay in that destination. For like, when was the last time you changed your bank? right? Probably not often. So, you know, with that said, you probably pick one side and you're just in there. So there isn't really this bridging concern. If there were, it would just be a couple seconds or a minute like you alluded to. Secondly is on the application side, meaning the developers really, who has to deal with all of these abstractions and all of these issues of fragmentation. But you also said 90% of the applications work asynchronously. So it could stand alone and still operate fully without any kind of uh, hindrance on performance. So for both the users and the applications slash developers, it seems like the most logical thing to do is to go into this thousand roll-up world.
3: Absolutely, uh, you put it perfectly there. And actually I believe, um, so first of all, what's important to say is 90% of the usage, maybe even more, won't be affected by the cross-chain complexity. And the small set of usage that will be will still be handled in a very good way. Actually, I believe um, this will be better than what we're used to in, in the Web2 land. Like, like you mentioned, the bank example, it will probably be much more frictionful for you to change between two banks or two stock exchanges nowadays than it will be in the yes. future to change application and crypto between two chains. Like, that will actually feel better than Web2 is today. So, yeah, it, it will just be solved, I think, by the technology that we have available to us. Yeah. Um,
0: something I was going to ask uh, with all these different L2s coming out um, what kind, and with your roll up as a service, what kind of feature requests do you have? What kind of app chains are you seeing uh, come up? Uh, I'm curious to see what's being or hear what's being built uh, in the world in this new thousand chain, thousand roll up world.
2: Yeah, I think... Um there are sort of uh, two different seg- segments of chains I think we, we see. One is uh, that we discussed uh, a bit now, these application-specific chains that really leverage having control and power over their own block space uh, to significantly and radically improve UX for their customers. So we are talking about DEXs that, like we are talking about the DEXs with the centralized exchange-like user experience, you get low latency, you get um, MEV protection, you get uh, zero gas, you get all these kind of things now in a, in an L2 world while still being fully non-custodial and um, you being able to bridge assets in and out without many trust assumptions, right? Into this sort of application, which is now, let's say like the decentralized Binance or the decentralized FTX, right? These kind of mm. things. Uh, and, and this also, is, of course, holds true to like games and um social platforms and and on all these all these applications where your X is really important. This is kind of like the one segment. I think before we see the explosion in there, um, what we are actually seeing right now is um, a, a sort of trend towards creating these themed chains or ecosystem chains um, and this is basically, projects that want to own a narrative. So they come in and they say, "We before that, if we wanted to be the chain for supply chain, or we wanted to be the, the social fight chain, or we want to be the Bitcoin-focused chain, or we want to be the a real-world asset chain, right? Um, before that, they have to build their own chain. Now they can just come to um, a platform like Gelato's Rollup of a Service platform, and they can create and spin these chains up in a matter of seconds minutes right and now they have their own chain and their entire idea and kpis are to attract um developers they they might build applications themselves but they don't want to be alone they want to create this narrative around their chain and actually invite people over and they look very similar to like an existing arbitrum and optimism but mostly targeted and focused to a specific niche that they want to sort of capture for themselves Um, and this is also i think where for now like a, one of the biggest value adds that we are bringing to the table here exist for for projects that want to do this because what our realization was very early on in this movement to a thousand uh, rollups uh, is that the rollup the just the rollup just the naked blockchain is very very um Limited and it's not really useful for you as a project, right? What actually makes projects useful are all these tools that we at Gelato, for example, have been building over the years, automation, smart contract, uh, uh, smart contract automation, uh, account abstraction, right? Creating better UX, access to off-chain data, uh, getting price feeds in, getting real world event results in, um, on-ramps, off-ramps, right? Small 6 user interfaces, bridging, all these sort of tools, this this is all infra you actually need on your chain. So the block space itself is quite useless. If you actually combine it with all the infrastructure services that this industry has developed over the years, then it becomes useful. And what Mm. we are, like where we are in like the best position right now in the market for is that we actually already have, first of all, a lot of these services built out ourselves And we have very deep integrations with a lot of other partner infrastructure providers, such as Oracles or Bridges, that have been using our services um, to, let's say, push data from off-chain, on-chain, or use our relayers to actually bridge assets from one chain to another, like Connex has. And because we have this it's so much easier to support all of these services out of the box for, for them. So if you come to Gelato's Rollup as a Service Platform, you not only get the block space, you get kind of like this augmented block space. There's this block space with all the tools that you're used to on Ethereum, out of the box, automated, uh, automatically configured for you. So you actually have everything you need in order to attract DeFi applications, lending markets, DEXs, perp DEXs, and social fabrications and all these kinds of apps to your platform. And this is, I think, what actually is now the first wave. These ecosystem chains, and they need the entire end-to-end blockchain package. And this is really what, what we are Razor focused on. A wow. naked roll-up by itself is not useful, but having
0: all these different services that are useful are, are what really make the roll-up. Kit, uh, I cut you off there, my bad.
1: No, no, you're good. I was just going to say, these are some super Chad block spaces, you know, that you guys are delivering. It, that, that's super exactly. cool. But I, I guess this is almost a perfect leading question to like Frax Chain, right? Like you said, like a narrative, a theme chain. I feel like this kind of teases it right up to talk about Frax Chain a little bit. So, you know, Dave, why, why don't you take it away here and, and yeah. tease uh, uh, Hilary um, Lewis about Frax
0: Chain? It's funny. And I do you remember in our third interview ever uh, when we had. Sam, Sam Kaz and Robert Sam's on, uh, at the end of the interview, Sam was like, you know, our goal is to build the decentralized Binance. And this was back in like June of 2022. So it's funny that you, Hilmar, you literally said the words "decentralized finance." Binance, definitely not decentralized FTX. We're going to throw that out the window, <laughs> <laughs> decentralized Binance, but yes, fraction, uh, is coming. Uh, they're going to roll out test that soon. Um, uh, they expect it to come out in Q1 of 2024. Um, I'm curious, like, what would be your pitch to FRAX Chain, which would be the ecosystem chain of Frax and all its different fr- sub-protocols, all its different stablecoins. It all lives on FraxChain. Uh, what would be your pitch to FRAX Chain?
3: Yeah, m- maybe Take I can start. Uh, yeah, so um, my pitch would be uh, that building out all of this infrastructure, and it's not just running the roll up sequencer, but it's also building all of these integrations that you need with oracles, with block explorers, with indexers, um, with, you know, bridges, um, automation, account abstraction. if you want that on the chain as well, that is a lot of engineering work and it's a lot of time spent on building. And then most importantly, monitoring these dependencies on a day-to-day basis, and there's a lot of things that can go wrong, right? Um, And sort of monitoring these on a day-to-day basis, building them out in the first place, upgrading them, and so on, is a huge undertaking that you really want a specialized team to be doing. And the beauty of a roll-up as a service architecture, and in general, the beauty of L2s is that At least that might be another hot take, but I think it is the point of these things to allow for, for example, a centralized sequencer to operate this chain because you have things like fault proofs and ZK proofs and so on. And um, by centralizing the operation, you can actually gain huge efficiency gains. You can have way more throughput. The machines that this uh, operator can use can be way more scalable, um, way beefier and so on. So actually delegating this to a, team uh, like Gelato, Rollup as a Service, is basically very aligned with the architecture and the purpose of the Rollup technology. That doesn't mean that we won't add decentralized sequencing in the future and so on. We have a a set of node operators, um, staking facilities, Chorus One, P2P, Beware Labs, that all operate Gelato executors already today. But I think overall, it's completely aligned with the architecture to lean into it and to get the most out of it and for me, that means having a specialized team operate the sequencer, build, build out all of these integrations that make the rollup useful. And then um, Frax Chain can focus on what it's best at, what the product is, which, which is you know, financial products, stable coins, lending markets, swap facilities, whatnot. Uh, and they don't have to be bogged down by the day-to-day of actually maintaining a chain. But they do not have to trust us, at least in a, only in a very minimal way because if they go with a zero knowledge rollup for example and the, the magic of zero knowledge proofs sort of give you a 30 minute by 30 minute in, in the future it will be sort of minute by minute guarantee that if the operator acts maliciously or goes down you can always sort of you know um keep all of the assets secured on ethereum and so on so there's the, the, the things that the 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 operator can do in in, in like a emergency situation are very limited The trust is very minimized and and yeah, you can always have fallbacks or or something like that uh, to keep the chains going. But but yeah, I think it's basically this technology allows you for the first time to be using the decentralized asset layer of Ethereum and what other data availability layers you might want to use like Celestia and so on that we all integrate with um, and still be able to leverage the benefits of having a specialized team and operator really scale up your chain and scale up all of these integrations. So I think it's it's like really a perfect combination of technologies here that allow for that allow for a very scalable trust minimized setup ultimately still leveraging ethereum in some ways if you want to secure the assets on that layer.
2: Yeah and maybe to to double click on the early point that Luis made around the setup at the end of the day if you want to come to like in ethereum parity when it comes to like the infrastructure that you have on there. um, It will take you like three to four months, three to four or five months to get every board. Like you have to talk to 50 different providers. You have to make 50 different deals. You have to let them deploy, configure everything until you have them ready. Then you are on testnet and then you can repeat the same thing for production, right? What we did with our existing customers, let's say like Asta Network, that is also an ecosystem chain, like we can cut these, we can cut your go-to-market for your ecosystem chain down to uh, a matter of days compared to weeks, right? Why? Because we also deploy not only our our own services that you need, but we also also deploy and configure external services because we have partnerships and integrations with them. For example, Redstone, Oracle's are by default always available on Gelato L2s. Why? Because we actually have a deep integration with them to have them be uh, ready. And if FRAX needs price oracles for ETH, USDC or or FRAX or or whatnot, right? This is something they can get natively out of the box on our platform. So yeah, it just saves a ton of time.
0: Mm.
2: Yeah. What um, gonna ask? When gelato chain?
3: There will be a thousand gelato chains if you think about it, right? <laughs> I mean, I mean
0: <laughs> oh, gelato gel chain. power chains. Yes. Gel chain. We'll, uh, every,
3: we'll be p- producing blocks for like a thousand chains. And actually, we uh-huh. also have, uh, we have an interesting way of, of tying this back to the token. Uh, so Ooh, obviously... That leads to my next
0: question. So yeah, go, go ahead.
3: Yeah. So, so obviously, um, I mean, what will gelato look like, right? Um, in five years, in 10 years and so on? Essentially, what we're building is an extremely valuable, uh, extremely verifiable, scalable block production factory. Um, so, and not just block production, but we're also building this Web3 Cloud computing platform uh, where every block we produce is linked to um, Oracle's block explorers, indexers, and all of this. So the value per megabyte of block that we have is, is much higher than any other block, because we might have MEV protection in there. We might have the freshest data in there. Um, and, and really that's, that's what we're building. And in this world, one way we will make revenue from this is obviously with the sequencing revenue, although, um, especially in the early days, um, we will do like a lot of revenue sharing with the chains and, and maybe some other operators and so on. But ultimately, Gelato will be like this block production powerhouse where a big chunk of every block produced in our world will be from a Gelato sequencer. And um, that that will have some costs, right? Um, obviously, we, our main goal is to bring the gas cost down for the user. Um, so we want this to scale. We don't want to over- Charge on on every block, right? But still, like in this world where the whole internet of value, the whole verifiable web that we are sort of all building here, where like banks, news agencies, news media, all of them will use a blockchain in one way or another to have provenance, to secure assets, to track ownership, like all of like all of this manual world, this this sort of meat space world that we have today, notaries, paperwork around real estate and so on, all of these things will be digitized, and blockchain will be the underpinning technology to digitize these things. And that means there will simply be, I mean, everything will be stored in a block and every transaction in the world will somehow touch a blockchain and Gelato will be there um, to sequence and produce most of these. And from that, we will extract, of course, some value and that value can be used, for example, um, for our token in buyback programs, buyback and burn programs. And um, very importantly, also, our token will still be used um, for node operators. Some of these blockchains that we will operate will be using decentralized sequencing and so on. So we will allow to open this factory up to other node operators to secure chains. For example, zero knowledge proving markets is a big one, right? There might be a world where not just us want to run these zero knowledge provers. We want to have an open market for this. And all of these node operators will use the Gel token as they have before as a utility token to gain access to the network, to stake on the network, and so on. Uh, so, yeah, there will be this this flywheel effect where basically the value that we generate uh, will simply increase with more and more of the world moving onto blockchain rails, and we will feed this back into um, into the token, um, so that node operators have to stake more and have to add more value to the network to be able to join. Mm. I'm letting
0: it marinate. Kit, your thoughts on it?
1: I mean, I I think it makes a ton of sense. You guys are not only becoming the picks and shovels, you are the picks and shovels to the picks and shovels. And you guys are making really good picks and shovels because it's not just your basic picks and shovel. You know, it comes with all like a special handle, special tool set right out of the box for you. But I I, I do want to ask more of a, um, I guess, technical slash administrative question. It's like, what what is the necessary vendors or suppliers that you need to launch a chain? You know, you said earlier in the call that it takes 30 seconds to a minute to kind of click it on. But then you also said it takes speaking with 50 different vendors and suppliers to get truly online. Like, could you walk us through, like, is there like a checklist that you guys do or, you know, we we actually have a checklist.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Please walk um, us through that. And so, the checklist is really dependent on the application. Everything starts as the application. The beauty is, like we are, we are really like working together with the applications and solving their specific use cases. Let's say the decks might need different services from a web three game, from a social application, right? From a um, okay. from can, can we use Blast as the example? Uh, like, we like could Blurs, use Blast. Blurs, Blur's L2. Yeah, whereas L2, we can we can use as an example. But maybe let me let me choose one, which I actually sort of we, we went through um, already. And, and I think this will this will okay. shine like a better light on it. Let's say we use like a, um, a, a lending, a lending market, right? So you want to build a lending market on your own L2, right? And so what do you need, right? You need of course, to have um, oracles on there, right? So you need uh, an oracle service to push the the BTC price on chain. Then you need to have uh, bridges to enable people not only from Ethereum to bridge in, but you need to have um, you need to enable people from Optimism or Arbitrum to bridge in very way quickly. And also, in order to have sufficient liquidity on chain to service liquidations and stuff, then we have liquidations, right? You need like smart contract automation and all of check. Hey, is that collateral? Um, below uh, what it should be. If yes, then we need to liquidate that position in order to not accrue bad debt in the market, right? Um, so you got this. Then you might say, hey, we actually doing an institutional uh, default lending market, right? Then you might need KYC. So you need to validate uh, Potentially on the sequencer level, whether a user users actually whitelist oh. in order to actually be allowed to provide liquidity or tap into a liquidity. And this is this opens up like a whole different set of institutional use cases where you can now have these pu- public permission chains where KYC is done on the sequencing layer. Everyone can bridge in and bridge out, but I don't know, like a Revolut can have their own app, or like another fintech wow. can have their own L2, and it's still sort of trust minimized, and uh, and and they but they can finally push it through their compliance department right so uh, this is something you might ask and then you might okay do is that is our protocol upgradable yes it is okay we need multi-six okay what does it mean we need the safe ui okay we need the safe infrastructure services right so so these are all, like i'm actually i talked to uh, a chain i don't want to mention the name they they are an l2 right now and basically what they did is they they started creating their own l2 and um at the end of the day they just created basically empty blocks for the past sort of three months or so. And they came to us and said like, hey, um, jada we have a huge issue. Like we have this block space, we have this chain running, but no one is on there because the the block space is not enriched. It's not useful. We don't have these tools that actually then attract developers to build stuff. Right. And so... Um, they had this list of tools that we that we basically have in our platform. We say, Yeah, well, <laughs> if you come to our platform, you get them all out of the box, and then application developers can come in day one and build the applications and This is how you have to think as a developer. don't think about the blockchain, think about the applications, and then the dependency tree of what they need. Like goes down, and then from there it goes a level deeper, like these infrastructure dependencies, like bridges, they might have different infrastructure dependencies underneath right, them right? right right so it's it 's like this tree that you really have to think about, and then we have this kind of like tree visualized, we know exactly which branches you need for which sort of applications, and then we we have them the goal is to have them all natively on our platform, so you can one click deploy the whole entire thing, and then you really have the Ethereum-like UX on your own chain. Wow.
1: Thank you for, for that explanation. Like I, I knew it was too good to be true when people say like, oh yeah, it just takes a minute for you to deploy. You just click a button and it's- Just roll, roll it a up. Chain. You roll it yeah, up. just roll it up, right? So, so I, I knew it was like, it was not that trivial. Okay, so thank you for sharing how intricate, so many like little nuances that you must think about. And you guys pretty much provide all of this in a package. And and I just have to ask, how does Gelato make money right now?
2: Yeah, how does Gelato make money is a good question. So Gelato is going tying it back to the beginning, right? We are calling ourselves this cloud, like Web3's cloud platform. And we are basically doing Web3-specific computation. And what is Web3-specific computation? It is automation, it's relaying. It's zk proving. It's running sequences and producing blocks. It's doing a lot of these things, right? These are all. This is all, these are the computational services you need in order to enable projects to build on this new technology stack, right? This is at the end of the day what we are building, and so uh, you can sort of um, extrapolate this, and this is it's, it's very similar to like a cloud business, right? These servers mm-hmm. have costs. These servers need to be paid. Uh, by having like physical server somewhere and then electricity cost, right? And for that right. margin, then has to be a margin for these operators that are running these servers, right? In order to like pay employees and do monitoring and all of these kind of things, right? That's similar to like a blockchain, right? So it's, it's kind of like similar to a blockchain. The more computation we do and computations are, the more transactions we do, the more blocks we produce, the more services are used to enrich these block space, the more more costs, of course, are uh, created for users, but the more usage they have from customers, which they then hopefully as well can monetize, right? But the more basically mm-hmm. value gets funneled through this platform. And and as Luis mentioned, we have we already have this, like we see as the, the cool thing about Gelato's cloud platform is we already have a, we are, we are kind of web two on the front end, web three in the back end, right? We have these node operators and you can think about, um, us creating this marketplace, where in the back end you have like node operators that are competing against each other to provide the most cost-effective server resources in order to service these customers. This will lead to costs being trickled; they're like going down. There's competition around it, right? Um, and more, the more projects use the platform, the more these node operators will want to come in and provide their services, which is then again good for costs. So, so it's kind of like a, a two-sided marketplace here, and This is then how the platform makes money. It makes money by application developers building applications that are being used. And the more these applications are successful, the more Gelato will be successful. So we are very much aligned with all the applications built on top of us to to make them as big as possible.
0: Super cool. One sec. Sorry. (laughs) I was going to ask... you know, do you guys have any more L2 hot takes and unpopular opinions? Like I know, Lewis, you sprinkled some uh, throughout the interview, but if you have like any other uh, insights in that regard, like I'd like to hear from you or, or as well as you, Hilmar.
3: Yeah, so I mean, the ones that I already mentioned earlier is uh, are <clears throat> first of all, um, I think some people overestimate the, the set of applications that need to co-locate on the same L1. It's actually like, if you talk to any software enterprise today, um, telling them that they have to share a database with some random NFT degen application or something that sometimes might actually worsen their own functionality during times of an NFT drop or an airdrop or whatnot. That's, like, really weird, right? Like, so normally, if you build a powerful application, you want to be in your own space. You don't want to be congested with others, other applications that have nothing to do with you, or even worse, like a, a competitor, right? Like, uh, imagine uh, your application right. suddenly, like, becomes way more expensive for your users to use because your competitor is doing some drop or something. Like, that's that's just... It's just weird so i think that's Mm. uh, people and then people overestimate how many applications actually need this there's only like a a handful of of applications that really benefit uh, from being synchronously um, co-located and most applications either don't need it or they are fine with asynchronous communication right like perp dex for example totally fine to to load your assets into gmx chain or, or dydx chain do some some leverage trading and then when you're done, leave it again, right? That's totally fine. Um, and yeah. Then I think another take, another thing that people don't really understand is some people always say, Oh yeah, but what about the sequencer? Is it decentralized? Like I think the the yes, decentralized sequencing can have some benefits that we're also looking into, but the whole point of a roll-up originally was that it's the sequencer is not decentralized and that's a really a hot take because if you think about this is maybe like a, a bit of a technical detour here, but if you think about how Ethereum was designed and why it didn't scale is Ethereum essentially says everybody in, in the world runs a node sort of uh, a validator node or something and everybody has to compute everything. So you duplicate or replicate the work of everyone else. Um, and this is how you verify the chain, like everybody to, to verify the chain has to do all of the work. And that doesn't scale well, right? Because then you want to be decentralized. Um, you, you need to be friendly to sort of smaller nodes that want to stake from home and so on. And now you're asking everybody to do this work and, and to do it in 12 seconds or whatnot. And, and, you know, that's that's just not very scalable. So what roll ups do is they say, OK, instead of doing this, we just ask one guy right to to run all of the computation uh, and this would be a GLR to roll up as a service sequencer and then this operator produces a proof in the zero knowledge sense the, um, the operator then also has to prove and um, and post a proof with uh, with the sequencing batch um, and now the, the nice thing about the proof is that everybody can very cheaply verify this so people the, the beauty of of rollup technology and especially zk rollup technology is you're not asking everyone, uh, like, you know, you're not asking this decentralized set of nodes to all, you know, pr- uh, do the same work. No, you're just asking them to, to ver- verify the proof, which, which is very cheap, can be done very cheaply, but you still have like one single leader node, the sequencer, the single sequencer wh- who can be a huge machine. So you, you don't have to worry about home and mom and pop shops, you know, verifying the chain. Like you can literally have a huge machine, um, processing millions of transactions, um, and still uh, ver- like producing a-, a proof that everybody can verify. And they don't also have to process these millions of transactions. They can just verify the proof, which is a compressed form of saying the- that the state transition function, everything was done correctly by that single operator. So, so yeah, the hot take here is like, some people th- seem to think that we have to replicate what Ethereum has, like uh, be as decentralized as Ethereum, have as many sequencers as Ethereum has nodes. But then you end up with the same unscalable technology as the l1 you're just rebuilding the l1 and then you're back to the problem where it doesn't scale again right so (laughs) yes (laughs) so then you need to go like do an l3 and then you start all over again so so people have to understand a bit that the decentralization of the sequencer doesn't matter so much like arguably it doesn't matter at all now there are some things where decentralized sequencing is still nice right like to protect against downtime but this, you can even do in a centralized setting, to be honest, right? Like if you are a good operator, you will decentralize within your own setting to make sure that if you're right, down on right. one location, you have other locations, to, like geographic decentralization, right? Um, but but yeah, overall, like it is good to have maybe have fallbacks and, and sort of uh, other provers and so on to protect against aliveness failures of the chain. But that's pretty much it, right? Like as long as the, the zero knowledge proving mechanism works and the fault proof mechanism in the optimistic sense works, the trust assumptions are clear and you don't, need a bunch, you don't need to pay a bunch of random people to, to operate the whole chain, like you can pay one operator. And that's still fully non-custodial, everything. Uh, so that operator also doesn't suddenly become this custodian of sorts. Like you, you can, basically that's the magic of the technology. It is, you don't need decentralization anymore. Um, you can verify decentr- in a decentralized way, but you don't have to compute in a decentralized way and execute in a decentralized way any longer.
0: Uh, Hilmar, uh, I have a question. Are L3s real? Oh, my voice. Are L3s real?
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, what about L4s and L5s? No, um, L3s are definitely real. Um, And L3s also have some benefits um, over L2s, um, depending on how technical we want to now go to. But for me, the major benefit... Of an L three today, which is just like a roll up on a, on a, let's say an L two on Arbitrum or an L two on Optimism, right. The major benefit for me there is bridging, uh, or on ramping and off ramping, because right now, like Optimism or, or like an Arbitrum or so, right. They have direct on and off ramps so with centralized exchanges. Right. And if you want to on ramp to an L three, which is let's say builds on top of Optimism, then you could just withdraw to optimism and from optimism can go straight to the l3 you don't need to touch Mm. ethereum in the process right whereas if you are a new l2 that deploys uh, Mm. this l2 probably at the beginning doesn't have an on and off ramp with binance or, or kraken or coinbase right so you need to go ethereum and then from ethereum to uh, the rollup if you only want to use like a canonical bridge, right? If you, if you want to, if you're cool with using third party bridge operators, you can also achieve the same thing by just going to Arbitrum and then moving to the chain. So it is kind of like the routing issue and onboarding issue. Um, when it comes to like transaction cost perspective, if you actually still want to do, uh, want to have the, the data be published on Ethereum at the end of the day, then like costs are not significantly lower on an L3 than on an L2. Because the call data that you're producing will actually, at the end of the day, still have to be posted to Ethereum. So if you are an L3 uh, and you do transactions, these transactions have to be posted to L2, right? There they might get validated, but the L2 then has to post them to the L1, right? And so the costs are actually quite similar. There's some compression, I believe, but not significantly. Like the the real scalability improvements from an L3, uh, but this has nothing to do with an L3 comes from using an off-chain data availability layer, uh, which are not posting data to Ethereum, but posting data to Celestia or like another data availability layer. This is where the real sort of cost benefits come from. So L3s are real. Um, They are, but mostly they are for on and off ramping for me and for sort of direct licensing, right? Because some uh, ecosystems, these families that we discussed, right? What they basically did is they said, hey, guys, rather than doing L2s, just build L3s on top of me. And the cool thing with this is they can charge easy licensing because you route Mm. your transactions through their chain and then Mm -hmm. they can charge licensing fees to that. And the the sort of payment model to these ecosystems is easier. Whereas if you're just taking their code and you're deploying your own L2, then they don't get any benefit from from you using their L2 framework, Right. And the sort of business model that they need to encode has to come sort of off-chain or or, or it's not really like encoded on-chain. So this is like some of the realities behind the L2, L3 sort of uh, um, differences, I would say.
0: It's like these different families of L2s, whether it's Optimism or Polygon or Arbitrum, it's like, I kind of think of it as alliances like NATO or like the Warsaw Pact or something like that. And it's just like oh, like join our alliance, and like you get these benefits, or like oh, like you get these benefits here, um, and so you kind of see these different clusters forming, or like oh, come to our family, we'll, we'll we'll protect you,
2: and and it's great, right? Because what happens, like first of all, they're all really good teams, um, building great technology, and we have not only one sort of like right now, it, there might be sort of there's some divergence happening, right? There might be some liquidity fragmentation as a result of this, right? But at the end of the day, we have competing technologies that um, will lead to lower licensing fee margins over time, um, and we can have experiments in the wild to see which ones actually work best and which works which makes sense, and people can learn from each other. So just from the entire industry, when you think and maximize for technological advancement it's actually a very good thing that we have these different families that are kind of competing to each other and who knows maybe they can all flourish and harmonize with like one sort of layer on top of them right that will just harmonize them together and you can easily move from one place to another maybe this will be the the, the outcome or one of them will grow much bigger than others and the other ones will become sort of negligible so these are the two outcomes i see i don't know which one will be the outcome. Um, we just we are supportive of all of them. We just want to help projects realize their their goal, right? And so, yeah, yeah. I'm thinking about like how early on
0: in the history of blockchain and Bitcoin, how when Bitcoin launched, you had like all these different copycats. Well, not copycats, but like forks of Bitcoin. You had like Litecoin, you had Dogecoin. And you had like everyone doing their own different flavor mm-hmm. of proof of work chain, and you had all that experimentation there. Um, and now you're seeing it with rollups, but there's just so much more tooling and it's so much more advanced than to like, oh, just like proof of work. We just have a different flavor of like, you know, the consensus. It's like, oh, we have a different flavor of like all these different applications and sets.
3: Absolutely. Actually, it's a very interesting point you make because imagine like, first of all, there were some Bitcoin copycats like uh, Doge, uh, Dogecoin and so on, right? Litecoin, but not that many. And if you think about what these guys had to do is uh, they had to spend huge resources, right? Like they had to create this own token, which mm-hmm. they had to promote. And then uh, like it's inflationary and so on. Uh, mm-hmm. So you really needed a team of crazy DGENs like the Dogecoin guys to, to, to be able to experiment, right? With that technology. And with Rollup as a service, we basically... Um, lower the barrier to entry f- so massively for any developer to experiment with their own chain, right? Like, do they want to have one uh, below one second block times? Do they want to store their data on Ethereum, Celestia, or maybe an AWS instance and so on? Like, all of these things are very possible now and very like they're, they're very cheap to do. Uh, and so we will actually see way more experimentation without people having to launch their own token, which is, you know, also a bit scary and so on um uh, they, they can just literally experiment with the tech and try to build an amazing new chain or application and i think that's that's really cool actually uh and another point i also wanted to make um going back to what i said earlier about my hot take about roll up sequencers sort of not needing to be decentralized necessarily um i think this also then begs the question like what what is like what's the difference then to a side chain right like what's the difference between a um, Gelato L2 to like any new side chain that is literally like run by one operator or so. And, and the difference here is the rollup technology and, and Ethereum, for example, in this example. So, um, and that would also be part of my pitch to chain. I think ultimately why rollup as a service is cool is because it reduces the vendor lock-in massively. Um, in general, it makes it much easier to in the event that the rollup operator is is basically going out of business or whatnot, you can just continue um, by yourself or with a new rollup um, rollup as a service operator, and that is because if you build your rollup in such a way, now you can also basically do it in a different way, and then you don't reap these benefits. But if you build your rollup in the sort of traditional L2 sense, that means that you are using Ethereum as the decentralized asset layer and as the arbitrator uh, trader of of any disputes so and and, and that's really embracing roll up technology to the fullest extent and and celestia will also play a role here right like we, they also thinking in a similar way but essentially what this means is for example for frax chain you can use ethereum to secure your stable coin underlying collateral still and and all of that you just use the roll up bridge to make it available in the l2 roll up and in the event that gelato is going out of business for example or also all of the data pertaining to your rollup was made available on Ethereum. So either it's still stored on Ethereum or it was made available there, at least so that you can store it elsewhere. And uh, in the event of like Gelato basically, or not just going out of business, but say you would be unhappy with Gelato running the rollup because of costs or whatever it is, just don't like them anymore you can then very easily switch providers or do it yourself and just sync the whole chain again from Ethereum because all of the data was made available. Um, you can just continue off. Now, there will be some pain with migration for sure, but that, that pain is very much reduced um, as compared to a sidechain model where if the sidechain is down, like you really have an issue like um, uh, so, so here we are leveraging decentralized technologies like Ethereum. To make sure that you can have continuity even if a roll-up sequencer is going out of business, or, or like if you just want to switch, so that's I think another part of the pitch is you really have like no strong vendor lock-in here thanks to the technology, and you can really secure as much of your assets and data via Ethereum or Celestia or, or other means. You don't you don't have to trust the operator so much. And Power on top to of the that, user. Yeah. Let's go. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Power to the app application. Right. Power, Power to, to the, the app. Chain. Yeah. And and on top of that, I think the other big so so reduced vendor lock in, reduced trust is important while while allowing when you choose a v- vendor, um allowing that vendor to operate in the most efficient way and performant way for you. So the best of both worlds. And then on top of that, it's economies of scale. If Fraxchain, for example, wanted to run everything by themselves and build everything by themselves, they would have to you know commercially make all of these agreements themselves and so on and just for a single chain. Gelato is doing this for a thousand chains, right? And this unlocks economies of scale. Like we have contracts with Etherscan, with BlockScout, with Oracles, Indexers, Graph, wow. GoldSky, all of these guys, right? And obviously we get... We get keep naming them, keep naming them. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's many more, but obviously we get much discounted rates with these guys because mm-hmm. we don't just operate one chain with them. We operate a thousand. Right. So this allows the per unit cost to also be much lower. And essentially this like this is similar to how when you how when you want to build an application nowadays, you would use AWS public cloud or or Google public cloud. You wouldn't try to rebuild AWS yourself, like at least normally you shouldn't. Right. Because these guys have figured out the economies of scale um, and they they can trickle down that benefit to you as a user, as, as an application builder. So similar similar economies of scale are true here, where if you just want to build yourself, not using Gelato Rollup as a service, you will end up, you know, um, not having these economies of scale. Um, And everything will be more expensive and also just obviously way more time consuming. And you you sort of lose a lot of focus on your your call product if you go go down that route.
1: I just had a, a general question about, like, when you do onboard, say, a new person onto the chain, do you let them choose between, like, oh, you know, OP stack or, or Arbitrum stack or Polygon stack, or do you just, like, are, are people choosing? Are people coming to you who wants to roll up, even choosing a specific flavor of
0: gelato? Yeah. Um, flavor.
2: I see what you did there. General flavor, <laughs> nice one. Um, I think the reality today is that. And this is also maybe a hot take, but it's really not about the tech. It's about which family you want to be part of oh. this is This is really the feedback we got from the market right now, and so we are helping them and projects. We are helping them get to a fully fledged end to end chain as soon as possible. Whether they like to use um, the software from from project A or project B, we are not really opinionated around it. We support them Mm -hmm. either way. Um, And we have very good relationships and and know the tech stacks of all of these very well. So um, usually they come to us and they say, hey, we've been thinking about this. We want to be part of tribe or family A versus B versus C for whatever reason they have. And then um, they, and then we help them achieve this. Sometimes they come to us and they have no idea, basically, right? They just, hey, we uh-huh. want to do this. And then what we basically do is just we lay out the different the stacks and we give them the overview o- about them and we ask some questions. And there are some, there are sometimes their merits to use this over this, right? Uh, based on a use case, and then we lay them out. But the decision is always at the at the project and uh, to be very sort of honest it's a lot like a lot of the decisions are based on business rather than the tech so um community Indeed. and business yeah so so and, and these are out of our control right so so we just mm-hmm. then provide them with all the facts and the uh, information they need to make this decision um, at the end themselves so
1: has there been any patterns that you noticed that like oh if you're a defi user or a defi application you're most likely going to choose this project over that or if you're an nft you know is there any kind of patterns that you noticed
2: um i think uh, it's it's a bit too early to 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 have like a, a large enough sample size to have an accurate answer to these patterns but sometimes for example there are definitely merits to having ZK um, zk rollups. If you want to do a, a lot of sort of um, fast sure, withdrawals sure. without having to trust third party bridge operators, or if you at some point want to have cross chain communication, um, that, that then it makes sense to potentially go with this stack. Um, but and, and and so so applications that need that or desperately want that might be more in favor of like a zk rollup. But at the end of the day, I think the sort of business and ecosystem um uh decision weight is much larger
1: Got it. and like you said there's no vendor login right I guess you could just switch anytime you you know circumstances yeah, the,
2: the, for the, yeah for like for this like it's for the stacks like if you if you choose like a stack right uh, there it's difficult to migrate like uh, ah, we, we are actually we are actually like now in the in the progress actually of helping some projects migrate from one stack to another because they just want to so there is no formal process. Like, there there, there rarely has been any migration of a chain from a stack to a stack. Um, But I think this this will definitely become, like, this will happen a lot. So we are right now, actually, for the first time doing one of these migrations in the space. And so we want to, eventually, it might just be like a button on the UI that you click and then you swoop, swoop, uh, go in and out. But um, in order to achieve this, this will still take a bit of time.
3: And I think that's a very interesting point because we almost didn't touch on this, but we are actually super bullish on Polygon 2.0, on OP Superchain, on Arbitrum Orbit. Because um, as a rollup as a service provider, we operate across all of these stacks. Um, and what I mentioned earlier with no vendor lock-in, this is true for the rollup as a service provider. Like there um actually as an application like Frax um you have this benefit that you can build your chain with gelato. But there is a very clear way of dealing with a situation where Gelato uh, services wouldn't be uh, happy, like w- wouldn't make you happy anymore. Um, but there is definitely more lock-in uh, when choosing your stack. Uh, so OP Superchain has um, has network effects, and they have certain operations in there that make it a bit hard to leave. Similar for Polygon 2.0. Um, and and yeah, um, but these these. Projects are doing an amazing work here. We're working with all of them uh, and they're really shaping the future here. And obviously we're using their technologies. Um, but yeah, within these ecosystems, I think there is a fair amount of lock-in where you really want to make your decision right early on because leaving later on will be painful. And actually we're also part, like even we as a, a, a roll-up as a service provider, we are we are part of the super chain collective, for example. We are part of whatever Polygon is coming up with there. Um, mm. and, and we also have commitments to to like legal commitments to the, the so-called oh. law of chains for op for example Ooh. um if we want to be part of this so there's some lock in there as well um uh, yeah so these guys also have a very interesting business model so so bullish on bullish on polygon optimism arbitrum uh, i guess ck sync as well all these guys building these stacks are, are really i think they will be very big in the in the next five years
1: right and uh- I'm glad that, that you're excited about them. At, but, you know, on, on my uh, trading screen here, there's also a red button. Is there any ones that you're bearish on?
2: I'm well, teasing. I'm teasing. I'm teasing. Well, I think, I think one thing, I'm, this is not something bearish, but the destiny of every sidechain and non-Ethereum L1 is to be in L2 on Ethereum. Oh, de- even it's Solana?
0: A- Is Solana going to be an it's L2? The,
2: it's the destiny of all of them. And Ooh, there are just spicy. some people... Yeah, real- are Kiss the Ring. It, 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 they're just, some people are just realizing it sooner than others. Um, we are seeing a clear trend internally to this movement and to this setup. And I would expect, if you fast forward 12 months from now, that the majority... Or, 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 or more than half probably of, of these alternative um, L1s or so have migrated to, to an L2.
1: You know what's funny? Because I always thought gelato was sweet, but this one is spicy. Okay. Can we double click into this a little bit more, Dave? Because I, I yeah, really want to know, I I really want to know, like, what is then, uh, I, I guess, actually, I, I'm going to save that one for last, but I want to ask about Eigenlayer. Sorry to switch it up so quickly, but, you know, all this... I haven't been this excited talking about infrastructure since we had Shuram on in February of this year I think. So you guys have got my juices flowing. How do you see something like EigenLayer fit in with this thousand chain
0: world? <laughs>
2: Hilmar, Lewis, you got your thoughts here? Yeah, maybe I can kick it, kick things off and Lewis. You can you can take it um uh, afterwards. I think recycling is a very interesting concept, right? Um, and exporting Ethereum security to to other services, I think it uh, has can have a lot of merit for a lot of different applications. So definitely, especially Team at i are very bullish on the guys. Um, I think one one thing I think the industry itself has to realize is that Louis mentioned, right? this notion of centralized block production decentralized block validation right what are modular blockchains doing modular blockchains are actually just enabling us to scale by saying which parts should be hyper decentralized for creating the properties we want such as censorship resistance and trustlessness and non-custodialness and which parts of the stack can actually be operated at more scale with certain trade-offs, right? Like data availability, like block production, like these kind of things, right? And so, in a world where we in a world where uh, we are already moving to a more modular architecture, and certain infrastructure services become um, where the performance is much more about much more important than the decentralization. Um, yeah, the the question remains like, with where do you then need sort of this restaking sort of, um, restaking power to go to? Because if you have a sort of centralized sequencer L2, yeah, if you just, if you want to decentralize it and, 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 and have like Ethereum nodes suddenly become like the, the sort of sequencers, the only thing you really do here is introduce latency and you don't really get any benefits of trust assumption, maybe potentially some sort of censorship resistance, but. There, I'm not really bullish on. So it really depends on the use case here. I think, like, for data availability or something, something where a more decentralized network is quite uh, important there, like something like EigenDA, for example, I'm super bullish on, similar to, like, a Celestia and Avail, right? I think there it has a ton of merit um, but also when it comes to more subjective things like Oracles, like Vitalik wrote this whole blog post about it where there might be some sort of security concerns that people have to be aware of. But the, 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 the notion of... So, yeah, I think the, it depends on the use cases and, and, and data availability is definitely a use case. I see for a lot of other infrastructure services, um, I think it's yet to be seen. Uh, but just unlocking the power of Ethereum stake, I think it's a super powerful Uh, Narrative, and I'm I'm quite excited to see what comes out of it.
3: Yeah, I think you've already summed it up pretty well. Like one thing uh, that we're definitely bullish on in terms of Eigenlayer is EigenDA. In general, actually, we are now seeing um, like the L2 wars were sort of the theme of the last year, maybe, and now we're seeing. I think going into 2024, it will be the wars of the data availability layers. And actually, Ethereum is quite uh, like Actually, you know, it, it's a bit under attack, if you if you will, because Celestia has basically front run front run the Ethereum uh, roadmap. They've sort of front run Blob Space <clears throat> and and Dank Sharding and so on, right? Like they have it live already. Um, and uh, and EigenDA is also joining this uh, this war. And and uh, Avail, right? Another thing that's sp- uh, spun out of Polygon is also coming online. I think next year. So uh, I already heard that L two beat we'll have a section on DA um and and yeah so i think that's very interesting follow one thing with restaking that might like i don't know exactly with celestia what the economics are what the sort of security mechanism is um so don't quote me on this but i feel like if you are bullish eigenlayer one thing they might have uh, over celestia for example is that they don't need TR to be super successful and super big to secure in the network, which probably is what Celestia somehow needs, but don't quote me on this. Um, there, they have the beauty of launching a data availability layer that, uh, that can use Ethereum restaking, right? They can borrow um, collateral, essentially staking collateral from Ethereum to secure the whole thing, and they don't have to generate their own token and whatnot. That being mm-hmm. said, I'm personally very bullish on Celestia. I think they have an amazing team they have produced some of the best content in the last year. Like I watched the modular summit videos. Like I, I was more excited by it than, than the ECC videos from Ethereum, to be honest. I think they've been, they've been like Mustafa, Ismail, these guys, uh, they've been shaping this narrative um, for some time now and I'm very bullish on them. Yeah. Kit, uh, you said you had
0: another question.
1: Uh, no, 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 I, I, I changed my mind. I'm, I'm going to keep that one off
0: screen. <laughs> okay, um so you mentioned like you see the coming quote unquote war in twenty twenty four and into the future is this data availability war so can you describe or can you define in your own words what data availability is, why is there a war, and you know what Celestia is doing uh that's different than everyone else because it sounds even though you guys sound like pretty e v m ethereum Maxi. Uh, the only there's an exception there's a caveat to this uh, and that's Celestia and my final question in this is uh, how does Celestia uh, complement uh, Ethereum down the line or is it or do they not complement each other is it like more like, a, like are they more budding heads
3: so um, I would say we are quite agnostic overall obviously we we've been in crypto for a long time so we are we love Ethereum and so on, but overall, like building products, building a platform and so on, we just want to pick whatever is best for the application developers, right? So that's what we care about here. And there, um, you know, one problem with Ethereum is that they're super smart. We have everything to thank them for and, and their research and so on. But one problem, as we know, is they're very slow. And here, um, it's super cool that teams like Celestia come on board and they've been working on this, like Lazy Ledger and whatever it was called. They've been working on this for a long time. I think the original paper about data availability from 2019 or something was with Mustafa, co-authored by Vitalik and so on. So, so um, I think there's some alignment between Ethereum and Celestia, but there's also some competitive forces at play. Very obviously, Ethereum has decided that it also wants to position its, reposition itself um, Ethereum today is positioned as a, an execution layer, and Ethereum has embra- embraced the rollup centric roadmap. What does this mean? That means that the execution layer will be allowed to roll up as a service. Ethereum will still have execution of zero-knowledge proof verification and whatnot, and certain other things, um, but it will mostly uh, sort of reposition itself as a data, data availability layer, which is what they're working on now with ProtoDank sharding and dank sharding, right? Celestia already today is a data availability layer, Um, and, and they are first to market here. Um, I think Celestia is working on things to complement with Ethereum because Ethereum is still the prime assets layer. Ethereum is the layer where you want to issue your ERC twenties on. Um, you want them to be secured by the decentralized set of Ethereum node operators and so on. That's ultimately like the, the, the the home, like the safe zone for everyone. Right. Whatever you do with these assets, whether you teleport them into an L2 perp decks and then back or whatnot. That That's up to us, but ultimately we want them to be secured by the Ethereum network so that in the event that one of these L2s is not working properly anymore, we can always go back to Ethereum and Ethereum can save us all, right? That's that's cool. And I think that's what we call a settlement layer, sort of. The question then is, um, settlement essentially means the final world. Um, the, the question is, in that equation, uh, you also need uh, data availability. And that's where Celestia wants to come in. Um, and I think usually what they say in terms of being aligned with Ethereum is that you, you can have things that they used to call Celestiums where you can prove on Ethereum that the data was made available on Celestia, which is what you want. And then you can still use Ethereum to settle the assets and so on, to settle everybody's balances and so on, ultimately. So that's, that's sort of this, how they can be combined. Uh, yeah. And I think that that's a really cool idea. Ultimately, obviously Ethereum will want to compete with Celestia on data availability block space and let's see how that that will work out but but yeah
0: yeah exciting times ahead um you know as we enter 2024 and beyond Uh, i think that wraps it up i'm not sure if you have any other questions kit no i'm good i've I've learned a ton yeah and uh, at the end of any every interview uh, we like to do a lightning round uh where we like to get to know our guests you know beyond the chain so kit go ahead
1: all right so uh I will kick it off with uh, Hilmer here. And uh, so Hilmer, when was the first time you touched the blockchain? What was your virgin crypto experience and sex doesn't count?
2: Yeah, I aped into the DAO in 2016. Um, (laughs) So I actually didn't like, I owned Ether before I owned Bitcoin. So I... I literally didn't wow. want to own ETH. I just wanted to participate in the DAO. I'm like, what is this fucking ETH I have to buy in order to uh, set a transaction and put my money in there? And uh, so I had to download the Mis run a full node and then ape into the DAO. And then it got hacked and then Ethereum split. So this was like my first, um, my first on-chain transaction.
1: Damn. So you actually hold Ethereum classic. Yeah. <laughs> like Actually, at one point. Wow. Okay, super cool. How about you, Louis? What What was your virgin crypto experience?
3: Mine is a bit more boring, uh, but Hilma and I were living together when, when he first aped into the DAO and so on. So I, I noticed that something weird was going on there. But yeah, for me, I just bought ETH on Kraken back in the day, uh, like early 2017 or something. And then I think if I remember correctly, the first thing I did was by an ens domain i think um yeah, get pusher.eth and that was one of my first interactions <laughs> that I, that i remember and then i participated in some icos in 2017 like some some weird stuff that isn't even live of course. anymore <laughs> of course and then
1: uh as a counter to that what is your favorite off-chain touch grass activity
3: Let, let's start with lewis in, in reverse order this time I'm trying to remember the last time I touched grass, (laughs) to be honest, it's a bit sad, but I guess here, I mean, in Switzerland, right, like the Gelato HQ is in Zouk, uh, and I just love shredding, snowboarding, skiing, and so on, that's my favorite sport, yeah, touch snow. Cool,
2: all right, Dave, oh, I'm sorry, um... go ahead. Yeah, for, for me, it's definitely probably uh, cooking. I, I like to I like to spend some time in the kitchen and cook a meal, and uh, listen to some podcasts, or not listen to anything, and just like do this for a couple of hours. What What do you cook, and what podcast do you listen to? The flywheel, of course. Uh, yes, I, yes, it's, it's the one I listen to every single time. <laughs> Um, and I actually listen to a lot of non-crypto podcasts as well, uh, just about like history on the internet and these kind of things that fascinate me. Um, and uh, the last thing, um, the last larger thing I cooked, but this was like for eleven people, was uh, uh, a Philly Wellington uh, and uh, also a vegan version using portobello mushrooms instead of filet mignon. So,
0: mm, yeah, but I was for, that
2: was. I spent the entire day in the kitchen, so it was a pretty long session.
0: Man, I haven't even ate breakfast yet, so you're definitely making me hungry. I'm going to go get a tail and ham, and cheese after this. (laughs) But uh, okay, my question is, uh, what would be some advice to your younger self? Hilmar, you go first.
2: Advice to your younger self is distribution is more important than the tech. So Mm -hmm. think about how you get your product. Um, Like This is advice to me as a sort of founder, Um, Think about how you can get the product to your audience uh, and decide really carefully what market you want to enter um, and how you actually get to the customer rather than just focusing exclusively on the product. I think there are a lot of the graveyard in Silicon Valley of companies that have the best product is very, very large. Um, The companies and projects that are successful are usually the ones that distribute their tech very well.
3: Yeah. And I have to echo that. So, uh, one mantra that I kept repeating this year is first time founders think about product; second time founders think about distribution. And that's so true. Um, so true. Yeah. I think Dave, you know, from back, back at your day, back in your day at Gelato, uh, that we were very product focused and, uh, and now yeah. we're really just thinking about how to get the technology in, into more hands. Um, yeah. I saw the transition though, from
0: product focus to distribution. I think like when I was leaving distribution was more and more on your minds and I can just hear Rick Ross say distribution and blowing money fast an <laughs> echo in my head. Um, so, uh, get your next question.
1: Uh, if you guys weren't in crypto or tech, what would your professional career path be?
3: Damn. Um i think nowadays (laughs) nowadays people always flirt with ai but but to be honest uh that's a hard one like i've been so into crypto for so long i'm not even sure i can answer that i forgot uh, like i've been literally (laughs)
1: there's life outside
3: (laughs) yeah it's it's, i've been absolutely sucked into this rabbit hole so um i guess i would be doing some sort of startup hilma and i have done fun startups before in uni we did like a, a an airbed rental startup so I, I, w- I would do startups in some shape or form, but I'm very happy I found crypto. That's, that's really consuming all of my life and has been for the last six years.
2: Yeah,
1: okay, cool. well, one more.
2: one tech that I'm very interested in is like VR, AR. So I'm, I actually believe this is the biggest bull case for crypto. I think crypto, like real world assets are cool, but it will take ages to get them all on chain digital native assets are the ones where blockchains really shine and we will soon enter an era where there will be billions and billions of digital assets being created. As soon as you've got something in front of your eyes where you merge the virtual and the real world, everything changes and there will be assets everywhere and they will all be digital. And there will be more digital assets than physical, probably already are if you count like MP3s and so on. And this will just unlock a whole new platform and blockchains will be the engine that powers the ownership provenance, uh, provenance and uh, the, the the swapping between them. And so I would actually build like a really cool apps on top of like AR and um, like potentially with fashion and, and and these kind of things. I think there are a lot of cool, very cool startups that are doing this. So I'm quite bullish on this. Mm
0: uh one more question for me uh who do you want to see on flywheel next who would you recommend as a guest
2: i think definitely ari rodriguez from arrakis i think we had him uh, on yeah but i think there's been like uh the new what, what arrakis is working on I think. thing oh, the new arrakis
0: this is, oh, is, oh, is yeah, a new it's, da- it's pretty, new new
2: <laughs> uh, the, the New Dawn uh, LVR mitigation, uh, how you can, how the DEX landscape will change, how dexes are changing, how you will communicate directly with block builders in order to fill trades. Uh, I think the team has been doing a ton of really, really interesting research and um, has a clear vision around how the future of value exchange will look on chain. And so I will definitely highly recommend to to get Ari back on the pod so to chat about it.
3: Mm. All right. Yeah, for me, I think you probably already did that, but I would definitely want to listen to Sam from Frax about what are the exact plans for Frax Chain. Um, <laughs> how, like, like what can be made possible by by becoming a chain? What what can we make possible? What wasn't possible before? And uh, that would be really interesting. And then another one is definitely Mustafa. Ideally, you could have an episode with Mustafa and, and uh, Sri Ram from EigenDA or something and just talking about the, the upcoming mm. DA wars. That would be spicy. Yeah, the belligerence.
0: <laughs> yeah, um, we'll definitely keep both in mind. We have a history of uh, bringing on our recommendations. Uh, so thank you for that. And thank you both for coming on. Uh, this was a fun insightful episode before you go let's hear uh what your social media profiles are so people go, can f- go follow you and go follow gelato
2: helma x on, on telegram helma x on on twitter so i need to get
3: the helma x there <laughs> for me it's a good pusher although i'm rebranding to rasputin and also uh, might be rebranding to block pusher soon uh, but yeah good pusher at good pusher on twitter and at gelato network uh, to follow gelato all right, go follow them, you hear, hear
0: folks, the world of a thousand chains coming soon, TM. Thanks guys for coming on, we'll see you soon. Thank you so much guys, see you soon. Thank you. Ciao. And welcome to the post game. I'm your host, Defi Dave here with Capital K and wow is right. Uh, this was quite the dense episode, really going into the future of the world on chain and the world of roll-ups and the world of data availability and I can keep going and going, but Kit, um, I know you were quite impressed with this episode. Bro, you know, normally I'm not as
1: excited um, for, like, non-heavy DeFi stuff, but this one, it really got my juice flowing. Like, this was, like, Sri Ram level, eigenlayer level of, like, curiosity that sparked in me. Yeah, and, I knew it was going to happen. I knew it. It was, it was bullish. It was definitely a good one. I didn't realize there was so much nuance, like, because everybody's like, "Oh, you could deploy a chain right now in less than five minutes." Like, literally, yeah. I've heard that at least three times, you know. And I, I knew it was never that trivial, and I'm glad they gave us like a lowdown on that is actually not that easy, but yeah. fairly easy, but not that easy.
0: What do you think of Hilmar and Lewis as founders?
1: I think just that last part where you asked about the advice, and they said is about distribution. That okay. I know they get it, and I think that their thinking, that their priority stack, makes is the w- right way to think about it. And I really like how he thinks of both the user's perspective, but also the application perspective. Yeah, the, the the real users of a blockchain is, let's be honest, it's the developers first. Then the, the you know yeah. everybody comes after that. The users aren't thinking about AWS. <laughs> no,
0: see, I only watch my movies on Azure, bro. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, I, Hillmore and Lewis, the real deal, I, you know, I've worked with, with them I was, for almost a year when I was at Gelato and I, I saw them take Gelato from before they had a product out and then they released right. their automation product and like how they've operated and have been able to evolve and carry Gelato forward from just being smart contract automation to being this whole roll up as a service stack for, you know, any application to go roll it up roll up something and launch it in five minutes it's how quite... do you feel about that you know ever since your I... your, your uh you know time there oh, I'm, I'm so happy about it honestly i'm so happy this is like the way it evolved because it's it's a tough business like you know anything in like crypto is like tough especially like infrastructure stuff but what really impresses me about gelato is and also like what you have to keep in mind with gelato is they see trends before anyone else, and they see trends because they can tangibly see where demand is. Whether it's like smart contract automation, they see what transactions are being automated. It's like, oh, we're like, mm-hmm. it's moving outside of DeFi into more like, you know, get general like gaming or th- or something else, this and that. And then they saw this demand for rollups and like, oh, this is gonna be a world of like app chains and stuff. What I what I never what I thought was really interesting that Lewis said is like the ace, how app chains can just secretly communicate with each other and it's going to be chill um, and how the website works, how the internet and websites all work in that manner anyway. I hadn't really thought of that and it was the first time I really, you know, questioned like, do we need like everything on just like one chain? Like, what does that mean for something like Solana? And I like, <laughs> and like, it, it does make sense. It's like, if I'm like a protocol and then there's a competitor protocol and I'm sharing compute with them and they're having like a massive airdrop, well, I'm going to be fucking pissed. <laughs> like, yeah, I, I, I like this interview made me rethink of w- rethinking ways that I haven't thought of before. And about two weeks ago, I talked to hilmar and I realized I had I was thinking about roll ups all wrong. I thought the execution was still happening on like the base chain and the data was just being posted on like the, I had I had it reversed, but it's like the execution ha- happens on the rollup, and the data is just being posted on the main chain. And that's just because like, oh, if we ever want to like check back or like, oh, if we ever wanted to like mm-hmm. bypass, like we can always, we always have the security of like the main chain of the base layer. Does that make sense? Yeah.
1: No, no, it, it does. I, I mean, at least fortunately for me, I, I kind of un- understood the at least the mechanic of what the layer two is supposed to offer. I, I just never thought about like all the nuances that you really need to yeah. have in place before that. Like imagine working with 50 vendors every single time like no wonder this is a very clear i guess a pain point for someone wanting to deploy their chain for the first time right and Mm -hmm. i I think that's why i asked about like the revenue question is because you know providing cloud services is one of like amazon's largest revenue line Mm -hmm. and i'm like well if you guys are going to do that for all of web3 i think that's worth quite a lot
0: (laughs) yeah if there is like a team that would be able to go out and get 50 services, it would be the FRAX team. <laughs> like, yeah, true. I, yeah, they, you know, I mean, I feel like the f- FRAX, I mean, if you like look at how FRAX has built, their philosophy is like, you know, let's build from like, from within, from the ground. Like let's build all these sub protocols that fit our needs and let's like build service, like build what we really need, we'll build it from within. Um, I'm curious, like, you know, how like Java could be integrated like, maybe they can use, like, parts of Gelato. Uh, we'll see. Um, you know, we'll see if, like, the Frax team, core team listens to this one and gets any insights. But I know historically, like, Frax likes to do things internally um, and whatnot. But we'll, we'll see. If they have worked each other, with each other before, um, and I helped facilitate that when I was back at Gelato. Mm-hmm. I actually was able to uh, get one of the first um, gauges was the, the when Gelato, when Arrakis was still... Uh, you know, G- G- I, yeah, I was the one that got the uh die frax pool. Um, yeah, nice. yeah,
1: nice. Uh, I, I mean, I, I don't think that there was any issue, even though the frax team likes to build everything like you know themselves. I still feel like gelato offer tools that could mm-hmm. be used like independently almost of you know having to launch you, you, you know, like we could still use um, you know, the whatever stack frax uses. And I don't know if it's public yet, but yeah, whatever stack that Frax uses, and then could still use account abstraction, uh, mm-hmm. um, one account, I mean one balance, and all of these different tools and services that Gelato offers. Right? Yeah, I, I don't think it's a one or none situation. No, I don't or, think so. Either. Or none. Yeah.
0: No, I don't think so either. Like I could see them, like you know, hopping on and you know offering their services and making life easier for developers and the users ultimately. Um. yeah and so any final thoughts on this one
1: Man, I if I were the L2s like running the BD team on the L2 I would give Gelato as much resources the as, as as they would ever need because like, then they're basically your ultimate sales team you know if you empower them that they will
0: totally be able to hook you economies up economies of scale yeah, exactly. And if you want to scale up your knowledge of Frax and DeFi, you know what to do. Hit that bell button. Subscribe. Do that right now. Don't forget. Leave us a go, comment. Let's Go, go, let us go, know. go, 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 go. And go leave us a comment. Go, go, go. Let us know what you think. And give us a like. Every little bit helps. Make sure you follow us on all our socials. Twitter, TikTok, Telegram, at FlywheelDeFi. Go do that right now. Make sure you subscribe to FlywheelDeFi.com for all the latest updates and news. And make sure you follow yours truly. That's me. <laughs> on Twitter, at D5 Day 22 You can follow me at 0 X Capital underscore K. And we'll see you next week. Peace. Everything said on this episode is not financial or tax advice. This channel is strictly for educational purposes, and it's not an investment advice or solicitation to buy or sell any assets or to make any financial decisions. This video is not tax advice whatsoever. Please talk to your accountant and do your own research.